electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, cleared for takeoff or back to the gate. What today's reversal says about that big move in stocks yesterday and whether an end-of-year rally is really possible now. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Liz Young, Josh Brown, Steve Weiss. Also on set with us today is BMO's Brian Belsky. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Let's check the markets. 12 noon in the east. We'll take you to the wall, show you what's going on today. Uh, it is a down day. You know, Salesforce, obviously a big weight. You got the S&P 500 regaining 4,000. Okay, that's the highest level since mid-September. Back above its 200-day moving average for the first time since April. Watching all of that. And the Dow, by the way, is out of bear territory. We'll call it 20% up since the 52-week low. So we got all that to work with as we Weiss react to what Powell said yesterday, which wasn't exactly new, but he didn't seem to upset things. Now we have a bit of a reversal today. So how do you, how do you see it here? Yeah, I think part of thinking going into yesterday was that uh, the market had an expectation of what he was going to say, and that's what he said. But part of the market was thinking, hey, he's going to have to double down on his hawkishness, and he didn't. So, but he was very clear. I don't think it's particularly positive for the market next year, uh, at least in the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. Second half of the year, different. Because he said, look, we don't really know what the impact has been of the massive tightening that we've done. We know it's going to be bad. We think we can have a softish landing, but I'm betting against that. I think actually that it's going to be a recession next year. Uh, I still think stocks can go up through the remainder of this year seasonally. Oh, you do? So you, I you, do. You do think we – so in a sense, he cleared us for some kind of move yeah. because he wasn't more hawkish than maybe people thought. Right. I mean, if, if, it's not like he said anything new. Um, he just confirmed right. in a way that they're slowing down their but pace. But there's a but. And the but is you've had a major move in yields with the 10-year and other parts of the yield curve. And he may take the podium when the FOMC meets uh, on the 13th, I guess he's going to be speaking, and say, hey, you know what? Won't say it's exactly, but we'll message that you're ahead of your skis. You've created an easy environment, easy money environment. I'm going the other way. So we're not looking to reverse, which is what the bond market's telling you. You know, we're still going forward. Yeah. I mean, nothing today sort of upsets the, the, the idea, right? Core PC was mostly in line. You do have rates moving lower, uh, and there are questions being asked as to whether rates have peaked. So, Liz Young, what did the Fed chair do yesterday? Did he give us an opportunity to have a rally between now and the end of the year with seasonality on our side as well? Or was it some, you know, one-day deal that is soon to be reversed into reality? So what the Fed does with its words is drive short-term rallies and short-term sell-offs, particularly in growth sectors. What it does with its actions is drive the business cycle. And I would urge long-term investors to not lose sight of where we are in the business cycle, regardless of what happens in a short-term reaction to something that Jerome Powell said. 
to Steve's point, he didn't say anything all that new. The only thing I would change about what Steve said just now is that bond yields having come down, I don't think is an indication that the Fed was going to slow down, particularly in the 10-year yield. I think yields have come down because people have gotten more fearful and the likelihood of a recession has only increased over the last few months. So what we're looking at now is still a Fed that says, yeah, maybe the terminal rate has stayed the same. I think expectations came down slightly yesterday for where the terminal rate would be. But they didn't change anything about the fact that once they get to that rate, they're going to leave it there for a while. And the expectation that something more dovish or some kind of move out of the Fed is bullish for stocks I think is misguided. The only way that they are going to pivot sooner than we expect or bring rates down is if something goes wrong or if the economy weakens further. And we're starting to see that now. We are. So I still think there's caution that needs to be had by investors here. The good news is we've got two bear rallies behind us. Bottoming is a process. We are getting towards the end of that process. And I think we've still got one more give up of some of these of this rally that we've had over the last couple months, but then we're done with it and we can start to recover in the market. But the business cycle has to be reset and yeah. it hasn't been reset yet. The other side of all of this, Josh, is the, the reality of still tightening. They're still tightening. They may be slowing their pace, but they're still tightening and they're doing so in the face of a slowdown now and what is likely to be an even more slowing economy as you turn the calendar into 23. Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm with Liz, though. So they, they may still be tightening. But when you look at that 10 year, the market is saying they're going to have to give some of this back at some point soon, certainly within the next 10 years, but probably more likely within the next one year. And the market is saying that because all of the data is headed in that direction. Private payrolls, ISM, um, all the home building and home buying stuff. It's it's pretty clear that, yes, we could have sustainably higher rates next year, but we can't keep raising. And these last few raises probably are the first on the table to be given back if things start to deteriorate faster. So I agree with Weiss. The, the table seems to be set for a continuation of this rally into year end, unless something exogenous that's totally unrelated to the Fed and inflation comes out of nowhere. Um, that's, that's the way that I would be betting. We're back above the 200-day moving average. Uh, the last time we came even close to that was at the peak of the August rally. We got within 1% of that 200-day and then folded and hit lower lows. Um, so now we're above. I think you want to start looking at weekly charts, not daily charts, to, to build confidence that we could stay in this uptrend. It's, it's, uh, look, we, we've, had, uh, we've had about 20, 22 days above the 200-day this whole year. We've been in a downtrend the entire year. So it's a, it's a breath of fresh air. Um, but again, big picture. You had an 11% rally in March that failed, led to lower lows. You had a 17% rally that failed in August. You ended up with lower lows. So if Liz is right, and this one eventually does fail, whether that happens in December or January, it wouldn't be completely off the table to see a new cycle low at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things are now going against us. So I just want people to be aware. Days like yesterday are a lot of fun. Put-to-call ratio is still elevated at 1.3. That's three standard deviations above normal. So there's still, like, a lot of bearish stuff being unwound. And that's fine. Just don't expect it to be something that lasts for a really long time. It hasn't worked so far. Yeah, it's interesting that you um, phrase it as a lot of bearish stuff being unwound, which, Bryn, leads me 
directly to you, uh, because nothing arguably has been more bearish this year than the ARK stocks, right? The, uh, the ARK ETF, the ARKK, it's down 61% year to date. Nothing arguably has been more bearish within that than some of the crypto plays, which have gotten crushed. Coinbase is down 82% year to date. I've asked you on multiple occasions what your thoughts were on all of those holdings. And now I find you've sold both. You sold the ARK ETF and you sold Coinbase. Can you please take us through that? Yeah, That's sure. Awesome. So let me, let, me separate, let, me, let, me, let me separate the two. Is that, you know, as I've talked about before, we bought ARK originally in March of 2020. And wow, it's like we've had, I think, a full market cycle in about, in about a little, <coughs> over, little under over three years. And so we bought it in March of 2020. As I've said before, we reduced it at the end of 2020 and two more times in 2021. And so, you know, going into this year, as inflation has been very persistent, you know, I really feel that, and, and as I've like continued to look at the portfolio and the individual holdings, I think Zoom is a good example. Zoom is the number one holding close to 9%. In 2020, Zoom went from 10 million daily active users to 200 million in three months. And the stock went from 80 to 500, and now it's at what, 70. And so I think a lot of these companies have pulled forward a decade of growth. And so I really believe in disruptive technology, but I think that we are late stage, and I think these companies, which have still pulled forward so much from the last two years, are gonna continue to struggle. And what I think won't struggle next year are companies with high free cash flow, covered call ideas, energy, and the rest of our portfolio. And so I made the, we made the difficult decision to say, we have a small position, but every dollar matters. We're gonna sell this and move on because if we go into a recession next year, even if it's mild, these types of companies won't do well. These types of companies do well the trade after the trade as you're coming out of a recession. And so I think it's going to still be another tough year for this strategy. And we just don't want our, our investors with the position to, to, to hold this another another year or, or to wait to the other side of a recession. OK, um, which brings me to. And then Coinbase. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Finish. Please go to Coinbase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this is important. I mean, I think Brian Armstrong is incredible. And really, he's Coinbase to me is collateral damage here. And, you know, when I look at what we underwrote when we wanted to invest in a publicly traded company that is on, you know, the innovation of, of, of blockchain and crypto, nowhere, nowhere in my underwriting did I underwrite the Celsius Voyager the, the 3AX, all of this nonsense that's happening, and now FTX. And to me, what gives me pause right now is all of these centralized exchanges, the Terra, the, um, the still stable coins, they're unregulated and they're opaque. And so Terra Luna caused a lot of what happened with FTX. And so FTX has just imploded. I do believe there, there is going to be another shoe to drop here. And we're, I'm just not going to sit here with our investors with their dollars and, and ride through this. I think the FTX has just pushed this out, this asset class's story, for at least two years. Mm. And so I, I didn't sign up for this. And so I'm, I'm taking my toys and going home. Nothing to do with Coinbase, but Coinbase is at the upper center. I don't think they are going to have good trading because most of their clients' tradings are now going to be locked up in the bankruptcy courts with other other exchanges that had nothing to do with Coinbase. Yeah, no, I, I mean, obviously I get it, uh, making the difficult decision that some are 
you know, grappling with uh, themselves uh, in the crypto universe as we approach the end of the year and you think about tax loss selling and the implications that go on there, which leads me finally to Brian Belsky. As I said, it's good to have you here uh, in the House. You still have a 4,300 target uh, on paper for the end of this year, which you had reduced. Yep. And I think you, you would probably admit that it's maybe a heavy lift to get quite that far, even if you do have a nice Correct. move into the end of the year. Yep. What's more interesting to me is that you're not budging for next year. Nope. You don't think even if we get there, we're not going to do much next year. I mean, 4,300 to some might even seem pretty lofty. Right. So uh, my good friend Steve and I are aligned. Uh, it's going to be a tough Well, he's negative. Here. He's yeah. really negative. Yeah. Well, you have been Mr. Like Bull Positive. <clears throat> We're aligned that it's going to be a tough start to the year, Scott. I'm aligned with my good friend Liz Young that we use the term reactionary a lot in our report that we wrote about the short-termism of investors, the lack of perspective. We have now reared an entire generation of investors that all they know is the Fed comes in, swoops in, saves the day. And we're moving from QE to QT. We already know all this stuff. But I think the key thing, what keeps us bullish is we don't see earnings going to 200. I think that's too simple. I think that's lazy math, uh, applying a 20% drawdown. I really think that this 210, 220 area is very strong, down from 230 this year. I think cash flow, I know cash flow in my 30 plus years of doing this is the strongest I've ever seen it. I know stability in terms of earnings is the strongest I've ever seen it. So from where we can add value is, is this. We think the normalization process has begun, meaning high single-digit returns, single-digit earnings, 3 to 4% 10-year treasury, higher than normal inflation and interest rates, which will cause investors that have not been in the business more than 20 years, they're not going to know what's going on. I think it's kind of back to the 80s. Uh, and we are in an active stock-picking market, which means that I do think that we're going to see forecast for 2023, something that we talked about Mm -hmm. for months now, come down from from our companies in the S&P 500 in January, February, which is going to cause some um, consternation in the market, which is going to cause the weakness. That's your your entry point. Okay. So I I would say that, you know, when you uh, accurately mention the fact that there are a whole group, large swath of investors who don't know anything but Fed-induced markets, because that's the way it's been since 08, um, that's fair. That's fair. But I would, ca- I would counter that by saying, well, then you, of all people, because you always mention your 30-plus years in this business, should know better. Yep. You should know the power of the Fed better than most yep. on both sides of the boat. Correct. Right? It helps in, when it helps, and it hurts when it hurts. Weiss, who you say you're in agreement with knows the hurt that is likely lying ahead and in his view because of this fed tightening ongoing into what is still a slowing economy so less that for so me. let me let me reconcile that so this year we were wrong steve was right in terms of the length and duration of high inflation we thought it was going to come down a little bit faster and we thought the fed as a result was going to act we were we've always been very respectful to the fed and we know historically that the fed is late 
and we actually do think that the Fed's got it right. Um, but we do think that you cannot ignore the reality, and reality bites sometimes. The reality is the yield curve inverted. The reality is that at some point we're going to have a recession. Whether or not it's already happened, I think it's a moot point. The stock market's already told you that. I think the key metric that we have to understand is, going back to 1945, is the actual calendar year where we have a recession, the average return on the stock market's 5.8%. On a positive side. So, again, I think the market's already largely discounted that. I agree that we have another downside to the market. It's just a matter of how we want to invest. And I do believe that where the other value add that we can produce is I think consumer staples and utilities are no longer defensive. People chase those. They're extremely expensive. Well, they can be defensive, but they can be expensive. They're, well, they're too expensive, you say, because too many people chase them. Well, to play from a, defense. from a valuation perspective, I've never seen utilities in terms of cash flow, earnings, yield, uh, and price of sales as high as they are right now. Staples, we've seen the largest relative valuation increase in Staples history. Now, from an earnings perspective, the Staples earnings are not as stable as even technology. And so where I think is going to end up happening is the more defensive areas in the market are become healthcare, financials, more traditional value and some c- communication services. But I think as the year progresses, we're going to be much more small mid-cap, much more domestic. Assets are coming back to the United States, and I believe that we have a long-term value market coming. I feel like you, uh, Weiss, because we didn't even get to the moves that you have, you're a seller when you have opportunities to be a seller. Yep. Right? BSX, MOS, you sold. You're short Rivian. Um, you bought some other puts. I mean, it's, I you still have a Carvana. You, you, still, you still have a you, you still have a more negative bias. Yeah, and and even as you even as you say, you think the market can rally. Yeah. Look, the um, I can't get too long because if I get too long, you know, I'm saying I'm I'm. Basically, I'm committing myself to the timing of this being in the first quarter when I think there's a chance the market wakes up before that and says, you know what, I don't want to go into next year the same way I went into this year, which is being super long. So I'm going to take some of those dollars off. Um, And, you know, next year, what bothers me, in addition to seeing the slowing economy, is the deglobalization. That's going to be very inflationary. So when you're bringing your supply chains back, when you're building here, what you're doing is you're creating, again, this incredible demand that we hadn't seen before because it's all gone offshore. So you're going to jam up the supply chain again, potentially, and you're going to jam up real estate prices as you look for locations. So you may see actually an extended policy move by the Fed to continue to just chase inflation. So sure, maybe it's peaked, but guess what? Being at 8% or 7% is still not 2%. It's still a long way away. So I think you can have an extended recession, not just a short-term recession, whether or not we've been in it or not. But that, people only look at the upside, like my friend Jim Labenthal. Oh, it's great. You know, we've got all these plants. We're building the Intel plants. Well, guess what? You only have so many people that can do that. You have so many raw material access. So that's a concern also as you go out into next year. You know, you mentioned Jim Labenthal, and I do want to hit an important stock story today before we move on. It's Salesforce. Uh, Obviously having a rough day on the back of the earnings news of uh, the co-CEO, Brett Taylor, departing. Jim Labenthal joins us on the phone. Uh, So, Jimmy, let's get into this because, you know, you said you were tempted to buy more heading into the number, uh, which you did not thankfully for you. Uh, But what now? Are you tempted to sell out of the number? Uh, No. 
Um, you know, my problem with this stock is it's a great company. I mean, we use it at my company. Many people use the product and it's fabulous. The problem has always been the price for the shares. Um, I've only had a toehold position, Scott. You know, an average position for me is between four and five percent. This is one and a half percent. So I've been looking for places to own more of it. Now the multiples come down. Now the multiple going forward is 25. That could go up a little bit as earnings revisions come down. But, you know, central to the topic that you and everybody have been talking about is this question of why did the guidance come in lighter than expectations? Well, look, everybody's bracing for this recession that may or may not hit in the in the first half of the year. Um, you know my position on it, but even if I'm wrong and the recession does hit, it's likely to be mild. Now I can look at Salesforce and say, okay, what's the second half of next year look like? It probably looks pretty good when the Fed's done with what it has to do. Um, so I'm not buying today, Scott, because you know down as much as it is today is seldom a good spot to buy. But I am now looking to buy more of this. And you would do so when? I mean, if a 10 percent decline isn't good enough for you, what is? Yeah, I just wait for it to start go higher again. Um, I mean, it's that simple, really. Um, you know, look look at CrowdStrike the other day, which, by the way, was a little bit of a tell, right, about what enterprise spending was doing. Um, down big yesterday, starts to climb back a little bit today. Could be tomorrow, Scott. Could be Monday. I mean, CrowdStrike um, was down like 20 percent, Jim. You're going to say, a you know, a 2 percent move higher on a, you know, and th this kind of tape is is something to really believe in? No, but uh, Scott, I think you understand the context of what I'm saying. I'm looking for an entry point. Um, down 10% could be a good buy day. But, you know, the, my, my experience shows that you wait for it to bottom. You wait for it to start to go up again. I'm not getting positive or negative on CrowdStrike. I think you know that. Uh, Salesforce is the name that I'm interested in here. I just need for it to stop going down for me to add to it. It's that simple. Yeah. Uh, Josh Brown, you have a take on this? Um, just the, the, the general idea of you know a stock like that that's gotten hammered pretty good jim's been in it it's a hard position to be in when you're watching one of the stocks you like a la crowdstrike for you you decided to buy more on, on that decline yeah um but i think the key to being in that space in the coming year is like don't own your seventh best idea because it's going to be it's going to be a tough space i think uh Enterprise spend is really going to plague the Nasdaq and growth stocks in general uh, in this sector uh, for the next few quarters. You just look at the the, the layoffs in tech and and what that's like. We've had eighty thousand job cuts or more in tech, which is uh, the Challenger survey. That's the highest that since they've been keeping track of that. Um, so I think that that is really indicative of an environment where, yes, industrials look great, uh, transports, all these sectors, they're not showing any kind of sign that they're experiencing recession right now. Uh, but tech is and the prices and the multiples and the CEO commentary. So I'm not like crazy about rushing into this sector just because the stocks are down. Um, CrowdStrike for me is more of a long term thing. I don't expect to get any performance from it anytime soon. The problem is I don't know when that will start again. I do know I want to be in that name. So it's a little bit of a nuanced take. Um, Salesforce, I think Jim nails it. It's an amazing company. It's incredible. Uh, very few people can afford to cancel their contract. Um, but the environment is just not great for companies that need corporations to commit to a thousand desks you know, 5,000 seats for this product, for that product. It's, there's just no urgency for that kind of spending right Let's now. Let's see. I'll give Jim the last word. Um, 
you, you have diverging views on when it's the right time to get into a stock, even if you're a longer term investor like Jimmy, I know you count yourself to be. You're not a, you know, a, a short timer in any stretch. Josh makes the point very clearly with CrowdStrike. I'm a long term investor. I mean, I, I can't pick the exact bottom. I know that the stock's down a lot, so I'm willing to buy it here. Well, I, I mean, it was 109. Judge, it was 109 yesterday. It's it's over 120. So like in six months, who's going to look smarter? The guy who puked it up at 109 or uh, the guy who said, I want to be in this for the next three to five years. I'm a buyer. The stock is 70 percent off its high. OK, well, that, so like but it's, you, you don't even have you don't even have to be a great stock picker to understand the difference. But that's my point, though, yeah. too, with with Jim saying that I'm not I'm not a yeah. buyer. I'm going to wait until I have some sort of light bulb yeah, idea I, that it's bottomed. Yeah, but but Scott, I mean, I'm clearly telling you I'm I'm liable to buy soon. I think the bigger point, though, is you know my style of investing. I hew much more towards value. A stock like this has until now been absolutely outside of my comfort zone. It's now come into my comfort zone. Um, in general, these high-priced software stocks are not my gig. Um, so this is not this. You know this. This is not a signature stock for me. You know what my signature no, stocks are. I know. I do is- want to make one other point, though, uh, Scott. Um, just to Brian, if Steve Weiss has a gun pointed at you below the desk, just blink three times, okay? <laughs> All right, Leventhal, thank you. Can, can I That's Pharma, Jim. No, because I, I, no, you can't. Okay. Um, because I want to finish with Belsky, and then I got to let him go. I can uh, change the gun, you please. know, point a different way. <laughs> this idea of where tech is, is going, because it's essential to the conversation of the yep. market itself, mm. not only this month, yep. but into the next year. You mentioned value. We're having really a conversation about that now. What what happens in, in 23? Value emerges or stays ahead of growth? Yeah, and, and we've been paring back all of our tech positions for several months now. I think you're I think what's gonna end up happening is you're gonna have equal periods of outperformance and underperformance in tech, and you have to pair up your names from long duration high multiple names with lower lower multiple, stronger growth names. So let's say like a Qualcomm with an NVIDIA. And to balance out the risk, some some things like that, and then maintain your big staple-ish type things like Apple and Microsoft, but be very, very careful in some of the in-between growthier names that obviously were the big names in 2020 and 2021. All right. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. Thanks so All much. All right. That's BMO's Brian Belsky. Um, we'll see you soon. I know we will. Uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk about the Apple question mark. Shares are coming off their best day in a month, still on pace for their worst year since 08. We'll get the committee's take on that next. We're back. Just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's talk Apple. Shares are, there you go, slightly lower today after posting their best day since early November. However, we want to discuss this because it is a battleground stock right now. Some suggesting that it could break 134. It's had a nice reversal, and you see 147 now. Bryn, give me the read on Apple. You own it. Are you worried about it in the big picture for the first time maybe in a while? No, I mean, not not at all. I think that what a lot of people obviously seen and realizing is you can't get a 14 Pro um, because of the supply issues in China. And so their numbers will come in weaker. But I think if you're selling it because of that, it's not because demand is weaker. It's because they can't get supply. So I have an iPhone. I want a 14 Pro. In no universe am I going to go get an Android. I will just wait. And so I think the stock technically looks weak. Um, I think Tim Cook is fabulous. I love what they do. Um, it's over-earned, though, just like every other tech stock the last two years. It had a huge pull forward. So I don't expect a lot about a lot of the co- from the company in terms of performance the next year or so. But I use Apple every day. I think it's a great company, so I'm going to keep it in my portfolio. But I don't think it's going to have even remotely the returns that it had the last two years. Yeah. Uh, Josh, where do you come down today on, on Apple? Look, this is this has been a tough stock, but it's been okay. Like I, I wouldn't categorize this with the Metas and the Amazons and the large cap techs that have really dragged down performance. It's roughly in line with what the S and P has done, maybe slightly worse. It's way better than your typical Nasdaq large cap, way better than your typical tech name. And I think the reason for that is uh, a lot of what's driven performance this year, if you look at the different betas and, and factors that have worked, is things like uh, cash flow uh, stability and earnings reliability. Like those are the stocks. Now, this just happens to be in the wrong sector, but they have certainly delivered that this year. I don't think anyone would argue. Uh, they've also delivered on shareholder yield. There's a dividend, there's a buyback in place. So um, I think it's like a middle of the road situation. I don't think it's terribly at risk. But I also don't think it's going to act like the Apple of 2017 or 2019, where it has the ability to just, like, double because they launch a new product. It's just not ever going to be that type of stock ever again. So I think if you understand that, it's fine to be in. It's even fine to be overweight. Just curb your enthusiasm for what this name is now capable of going so forward. So, Weiss, let me ask you this question, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, irrespective of what this stock may do between now and the end of the year and what it may do in the beginning part of of 23. If you think that at some point in 23, which I think you do, that the market is going to have uh, a run back, right, Right. once the Fed eventually pivots, inflation comes down, et cetera, et cetera, is Apple and those types of stocks, are they going to be the leaders in that new bull market or not? I, I think Apple could be the leader. And Apple's got protection, don't forget. I mean, the consumer, while the consumers stretch, not all consumers, but most, 
Keep in mind, they're only paying 200 bucks for an iPhone because they're trading in their own and it's being subsidized. So they've got that downside protection. And then when it goes to the upside, where are you going to go? You're going to go to quality first. You're going to go to the market leaders in terms of weighting first. So, yeah, I think Apple will be a market leader. Okay, that's I I I ask it literally. I, I'm just not sure. As people think that, you know, you've got this long runway now. Right. You know, Liz, how would you answer that? But with the caveat, the junk goes first. When markets turn, the most beat up stocks, the ones that have the worst business models, yeah. typically move first and fast. Sure, but talking about quality names, I think Apple will do it. But that that is a question though. As some are trying to say that that value is going to have a moment, and maybe it's a longer moment than some are expecting if that next bull market is led by value or if it's led by the same thing that led us the last time and that's apple and the mega caps so okay if the next bull market happens because we went through a recession we reset the business cycle and then we begin again in a new business cycle and there's a bull market on that side that is traditionally cyclicals which are usually more value oriented sectors and things like small cap value so you're looking at things like financials industrials maybe some materials and small cap value stocks leading us out of that if there's a recession. That is pretty much the base case that we would have a recession. I still think there's a chance that we end up in a situation where this is again the most hotly debated recession in history where some people are gonna say yes it was, others will say no it wasn't. It doesn't really matter. I think that the important thing for an investor, if you're looking at 2023, at the idea that rates will go up again and stay up I actually don't think tech is what leads us out of this. I don't think tech needs to suffer anymore, but if we're trying to tell people where they can make better returns than the broader index and where they can find more alpha or upside, I don't think tech is the spot. Okay, coming up, Steve Weiss is selling a stock. It was just named a top pick as well for next year. We'll discuss that in our calls of the day. We're back right after this. American companies are installing record levels of solar power to fuel their operations. That represents 14% of all installed solar capacity in the U.S., according to the Solar Energy Industry Association. Roughly half of all corporate solar has been installed in the last two and a half years. Meta, Amazon, Apple, and Walmart are among the top corporate solar users in America. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update this hour. Police detonated a suspicious envelope sent to the U.S. Embassy in Spain a day after a similar package ignited and injured a worker at Ukraine's embassy in Madrid. Spain's on high alert after authorities detonated a handful of these explosive letters sent to other facilities around the country in the past couple days. 
Africa is finally getting its first batch of MPOX vaccines, thanks to 50,000 doses from South Korea. 202 Africans have died this year from the virus, formerly known as monkeypox. Countries there have struggled to get the vaccines in the first place, and the first wave of these doses will be targeted to healthcare workers and those who live in the hardest hit areas. Baseball Hall of Famer Gaylord Perry has died at age 84 of natural causes. The pitcher won two Cy Young Awards and played for eight teams during his storied major league career. In his 22 seasons, he threw more than 3,500 strikeouts and won 314 games. Scott? He was amazing. Uh, Contestant, thank you. Sure. Contestant Brewer. All right, let's talk United Airlines. Cowan today named it a top pick. That's fine. $65 is the price target there. What gets us interested more so is that Steve Weiss, you just sold it. I did. I did. Why did so you sell it? I, I bought a trade because in my view, you always trade the airlines. You don't get married to them. You don't own them forever. And I just thought that there would be other stocks uh, that I went into that would give me more upside. Look, you know, if you look at the prices that for airline tickets, I mean, they're, they're just they're high. out of sight. They're ridiculous. I mean, to go to uh, the West Coast is between well, to go anywhere. And 9, there are a lot. Well, you're making exactly. the case to own it, not sell it. Well, except we don't know all that. And I think that when you see these prices that you're going to sort of see demand erode. So a lot of the travel now was booked before. Now, when you start to look, say, hey, maybe I can't afford this ticket anymore. So I think that's part of the issue. The other issue is that, and it's early for this call, they're going to bring on a lot of capacity during the summer. They said that. When you bring on capacity in the airlines, since time memorial, going back to the Wright brothers, it hurts the stock prices. So that's why I think it can continue to go up. I think it is cheap. And I think next quarter will be a great quarter. But I just had other places to put my money. Okay, fair enough. Coming up, Dollar General. That's plunging today after cutting its outlook. One of our investment committee members bought it not that long ago. They're going to join us next to tell us and you what they're doing with the stock now. We're back in two minutes. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. back. Check out Dollar General. Hide your eyes. It's down near 9%. Second worst stock in the S&P. That's after missing estimates, cutting its outlook. Stephanie Link, she owns the stock, joins us now on the phone, which is, you know, you haven't been in this name all that long. So what do you do now? Uh, hi, Scott. Um, yes, I haven't been in that long. I'm actually buying more today. Um, I think the headline miss certainly was disappointing, but I think also the fact that the stock has held up year-to-date remarkably well. It was up 8% headed into the print, and we all know the S&P 500 is down 15% on the year. And so that's why I think it's held up, and it was a disappointing number, but I think that's why you're seeing such an extreme reaction. Under the surface, it wasn't all bad. On the positive side, same-store sales came in nearly 7%. 
beating expectations. Total revenues grew 11% year over year and up 35% from third quarter 19 levels. And consumables, which is 80% of their revenues, grew 14.3%. So what's the bad? The bad is that third quarter gross margins fell and fourth quarter uh, was guided down. And that's a lot due to higher internal supply chain costs and also the fact that they're increasing capacity for distribution. They're going to increase their distribution by 20% over the next 18 months. So eventually that's going to turn in their favor. And also they're doubling the truck fleet. So that should also help on the cost front. So yeah, I am disappointed, but I don't think it's thesis changing. Historically, these guys have been very good operators, and I still believe that to be the case. They offer a value proposition. It's a trade-down beneficiary. I like the consumable mix. And oh, by the way, they have store growth. They're going to open over 1,000 stores next year. So I'm using this as a buying opportunity. I'll continue. If it, uh, if it remains weak, I'll continue to, uh, to add to All it. All right, gotcha. I appreciate you calling in and telling our viewers what you're doing there. Stephanie Link, up Thanks. next, Mike Santoli's here with his midday word. Mike Santoli is back right now for his midday word. Uh, back to reality today, or, or what's your take here on, you know, yesterday and then what we're witnessing now? Well, I mean, I, I think both are reality. Uh, let's be clear yeah, about okay. that. I mean, the reaction <laughs> well uh, to, to what Powell had to say yesterday uh, had a rational basis, meaning uh, he chose not to explicitly pushed back against the market. He gave you a formula for how they're thinking about inflation. He said out loud that, you know, shelter inflation is a lagging indicator, and that's something that people have been screaming at the Fed for a while. So that's okay. But you do have a bit of a reality check today on the manufacturing side of things. We know that was weak. It showed you it was weak. Some pretty friendly inflation data today with the PCE as well as the ISM, you know, uh, service, the ISM manufacturing prices paid. But the question is, is that the is that still the the, the the clear and present danger or are we past Fed worry and inflation worry and on to growth worry? So I think that's the fix we're in. The two year note yield cracks below four point three. Uh, that was sort of a, a level where it go, you know, goes back a few months and it seems like it might be breaking down uh, a fair bit. So it, it's still going to be a test. And, you know, the inflation and growth numbers are going to have final say about all this stuff. But two 5% plus monthly gains in the S&P, calendar month gains, typically has not been uh, just a complete flash in the pan type of move. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Above some key technical levels, too. I'll see you in a few hours yeah. for your last word. Right. That's Mike Santoli at The Exchange. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Talk about more in the market next. All right, we're back. That company right there, ChargePoint, is set to report results in overtime tonight. The third straight negative month, the worst month since April. Josh Brown, where are your expectations for this? You own it, right? I do. This is probably one of the most speculative stocks that I own. Um, but the company itself gave guidance for somewhere between 450 to $500 million in revenue for 2023. Um, so the, the analysts are... I think most keenly looking for that guidance to at least be reaffirmed. This is a company that's a revenue growth machine. 100% revenue growth is what's expected year over year. 
Um, earnings are negative, but that's because they are deliberately spending to build this massive network of charging stations. Um, I'm going to stay long the stock, probably regardless of what they have to say tonight. But I think guidance is going to be the most important thing. Why is this the one of, of all these kinds of stocks that, that you picked? It's the biggest one. They've got 200,000 charging points all over the world. They've been in business since 2007. This is not something that came public you know, just to exploit the Inflation Reduction Act. They have been in this business for 15 or 16 years. They are the best at it, and they have the biggest partnerships with companies like Starbucks, for example. Anywhere that people park their car, hotel, restaurant chain, whatever, this is the company that's got the equipment there so that that car can be charged while the person is doing whatever they want to do. I think that's going to be a great business, and ChargePoint is the largest. Okay. I want to squeeze in some stocks, too. Uh, some of the best performers uh, in the quarter as we, uh, you know, approach the last month of the year. Weiss, Moderna, up 49% year-to-date? Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, stocks come quarter down. Quarter-to-date, pardon me, quarter-to-date. Yep, the, the stocks come down quite a bit. I did add during quarter after reducing my position. They've had good news. I mean, they've got a partnership with Merck, where Merck saw the data on their personalized cancer vaccines. They've had some other good news in the pipeline. So I still think the stock's going to go higher over time. Well managed. All right. Bryn, Freeport is up 45% quarter to date. Yeah, I think part of that's the China, you know, the, the, the speculation about China reopening. Listen, it takes an extraordinary amount of copper in EVs and windmills. And so from a secular story, this is that green metal. It's very volatile, but I mean, I, I love this stock. I'm, I'm in this position long-term. I sell calls against it because I know it's volatile. But if you want to play a proxy for China and a proxy for EVs and, and ele electrifying the grid, I think Freeport's like one of, the, one of the best ways to play that. Josh, you got three 30% plus winners in the quarter. Simon, JP Morgan, and Netflix. Which one are you most excited about moving forward here? Uh, Netflix probably has the most momentum. Simon is the one that if I had room in my portfolio for more REIT exposure, I would be adding to. I just don't right now. Um, but Simon to me looks like uh, a slam dunk. This stock is, uh, I think, appropriately pricing in the risk of a weakening consumer in 2023. And that's all well and good. Um, but this is just an unbelievable collection of assets. Great cash flow. Plenty of room to pay that 6.5% yield, no problem, and a lot of leverage in, in what they do. So uh, I still like all these names that I'm in. Okay. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Oh, we got a big overtime coming up. We just booked Brad Gerstner of Altimeter. Good timing, too, uh, given the conversation around Meta, whether – his letter, remember, uh, to the board and Zuckerberg got that company to focus on getting more fit. And we're going to talk about that. Snowflake, too. Wow. What a slide after earnings yesterday. They're a big shareholder. Stock gets as low as 122 and change to 149 now. We'll find out. I don't know. Maybe he was buying. Who knows? We'll ask him, though, uh, his outlook there and uh, all things markets. Look forward to that. Hope you'll join me then. Let's do final trades. Uh, Liz Young, what would you like to do today as your final? Something I've never done before, sell consumer discretionary. I think that the consumer is set to crack. Retail also makes up more than 50% of this sector, uh, and it's still overpriced, second most expensive in the index. Wow, okay, selling consumer discretionary. Bryn Talkington. 
Um, Jeffy, I've talked about it a bunch. It's been mm -hmm. a champ this year. It's down less than 2%. Between the dividend and the cover calls, it is paying close to 13% dividend with high-quality names. So I think it's going to continue to be a strong performer next year. Okay. Josh Brown? Um, sticking with SPG. Simon Property Group. Any reasoning why? Uh, this is the A-class mall king of America, and people, it turns out, actually like to go places when they wake up in the morning. I know that sounds crazy. Yep. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Mr. Weiss. Bungie. Bungie's getting hit today. It was down actually more, about 8%, based upon some proposed legislation by the Biden administration. Uh, I don't know that that'll pass, number one. Number two, it's still a compelling value down here. Okay. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in a few hours uh, in overtime again with Brad Gerstner. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.